All right, how's everyone doing today? Good. Um, I'll just uh, reiterate what Pastor Bart said earlier. You know, I, I know a number of churches that don't even meet the Sunday after Christmas just because so many people are out of town or just sleeping. So thanks for being here. Um, I hope you guys had a good Christmas. Y'all have a good Christmas? Good. Um, it's funny, last week I, I got up, I came up to uh, transition us from the first song into our Advent candlelight reading, and I was really excited, and I was just, you know, like, this is such a beautiful time of year, and I love this time of year, you know, God's celebrating God's light in our, in our dark world, and I look over, and, and Pastor Bart's kind of doing this motion, and, and he was inviting me to invite you guys to have a seat, but I interpreted that as take the Christmas cheer down a notch. I was like, okay, okay, I'm a little, little too excited about this. I need to learn my stage cues up here. Um, the, pa- the passage I was, uh, I'm preaching on today, the, the parable of the persistent widow, I, I wrestled with this passage um, for, for a while. I, God kept drawing me back to it, and I kept kind of wrestling with the Lord over it because uh, it's kind of a heavy passage. And I'm like, uh, God, they're all going to be fat and happy, eating Christmas leftovers and um, you know, we had this beautiful candlelight service, and I'm just going to kill that with this, this heavy passage. Um, but I just felt the Lord drawing me back to this, this parable. Um, the other reason I wrestled with it is, at face value, it, se- it seems to be saying one thing, but it's actually, I think, saying something very different. So hopefully, I can communicate that clearly. Um, and I just, I just want to reiterate again, uh, as Pastor Bright just shared, we're starting our, our prayer and fasting 21 days this coming Thursday, uh, you know, every weekday morning uh, from 6.45, that's a.m., by the way, um, to 7.30. We'll be praying beginning this Thursday in the prayer chapel, and uh, that'll be during the 21 days, during the weekdays, and then we'll have corporate prayer every Wednesday night. And also, we're going to be uh, relaunching pre-service prayer um, every Sunday morning starting this Sunday from um, 9.30 to 9.50, uh, before, just before church. Um, so I'm preaching on, on prayer today to kind of launch us in this season of prayer. Um, let me read the parable for us from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, if you want to open up your Bibles, and we'll have it on screen. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I I just welcome you now to come Breathe on your word and invite us to be people of prayer who stand on the strong name of Jesus 
and to make our requests and to keep coming back to you, God. Would you yoke us to your heart, God, in prayer? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Adeline, our little girl, is just at such a cute age right now. And, um, you know, she can't talk yet, uh, but she's really trying to communicate her, her desires and, and needs. And I think there's a pretty good chance that Adeline thinks that Jordan and I are her slaves. <laughs> you know, our, the problem, of course, is our master doesn't speak English. And so we're, you know, spending our days trying to interpret her bidding. And, um, but she's just at such a cute age right now. And, and Jordan and I talk about it all the time, like, Oh my gosh, this, this is our new favorite phase. Like, this is even better than the last one. Just when we thought she couldn't get any cuter, like, this one's even better. I can't even imagine her getting cuter. And then she moves to the next phase, and then she's even cuter. I assume at some point that ends. I've never heard a parent say, 14, 14 years old. That was my favorite age. That was, that was it just oozes cuteness at 14. Um, so I understand that there's an expiration and date on that. Um, I was reading a story one time, a true story, about a mother who just kind of had had it with her kids. And she uh, just got to this breaking point with all, all the back talk, and they weren't doing their chores, and the husband wasn't any help. And so she packed up her things, walked out the back door, and moved into the treehouse. And her husband came home and, and said, Babe, babe, what are you doing? Come, come down, come, come down. And she said, no, I've had it up to here with all the lip and no one's pulling any weight around the house and you're not any help, by the way. So I'm staying up here in this tree house until things change around here. And so a few hours later, the, the husband comes back and he says, babe, I, I've, I've got the kids doing chores again and I told them to cool it with the lip and I'm gonna be more present. So, so come down, pl- please just come, come back down. And I think depending on what kind of Christianity you may have been raised in, we can feel something like that when we come to a parable like the parable of the persistent widow. where We don't exactly know how to deal with God's silence. We don't know how to deal with God's apparent absence. And so all we know to do is to sign up for our Christian chores again, or we got to figure out how to learn how to talk God into coming back down. As the characters in this story, the judge and the widow, uh, are really prototypes of two people who occupy opposite ends of the spectrum of power and influence. The judge on one side, the widow on the opposite side. And I think it's important as we engage this story to consider how uh, these characters would have uh, been heard in the ears of the Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to. Um, So... Uh, the Old Testament is what shaped the, the Jewish audience's view of what a judge should be, what the widow was to be, and how God responded to the widow. So we could look at uh, a passage like Second Chronicles uh, 6 and 7, where King Jehoshaphat of Judah has uh, appointed judges in each of the fortified cities of Judah, and he says this to the judges. And he said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He's with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality or taking of bribes. The judges of Judah were to be marked by the fear of God, 
And Jesus probably seems to have in mind a judge that maybe doesn't know God, um, or at least isn't marked by the fear of God or respect for man in this parable. And then the widow is also talked about so often throughout the Old Testament. We could look at passages like this where God's heart is on display. This is Moses speaking for God, saying, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them. And they cry out to me. I will surely hear their cry. I will hear the cry of the widow, God says. In Deuteronomy 10.18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. God hears widows and he gives justice to widows. Throughout the Old Testament, God declares his loving care for widows. And that's an important point as we consider this parable and it's one I'll come back to. Um, before I go on, though, I, I want to uh, make something clear. And, um, and that's this. this. This passage in particular, Jesus is talking about the prayer of justice. But at, at no point in the sermon do, do I want it to come across that um, we don't need to work for justice. That all we're called to do is just pray for justice. Um, we are called to be people who work for justice in our spheres of influence, however small or great they may be. That in whatever sphere of influence you have, that you're seeking and working to make wrongs right, that you're seeking to, to take the lowly and elevate the lowly, that you're seeking to bring equity and righteousness in your sphere of influence, and maybe as the Holy Spirit speaks to you even beyond your sphere of influence. By the way, we got to, to do that, a work of justice for some women, uh, not unlike the woman in this parable. Um, by the way, the woman in this parable may not even be old. Um, people died a lot younger at that time in history, and women tended to marry men significantly older. So this, this widow may be in her 30s or 40s. And um, we, you know, you guys uh, gave diapers and uh, baby monitors and breast pumps and formula that we're going to be giving to the Haven Ministry uh, that's reaching uh, poor single mothers. So um, I just, but I wanted to make that clear. This is not an excuse to not work for justice, but in this particular passage, the call is prayer for justice. Um, the fact, uh, the, the legal case that this woman once settled for her isn't specified in the story, right? Um, maybe there are some uh, financial resources that have belonged to her husband that someone's withholding from her, but we don't know. And I think Jesus leaves it ambiguous because he wants the parable to serve the general purpose stated in verse 1, that people ought always to pray and not lose heart. The fact that um, this widow has no male kinsman with which to argue her case for her before the judge shows just how truly alone she is in the man's world. The fact that she has to keep coming back again and again pleading for justice means she doesn't have any money with which to bribe the judge. So with no financial resources, social standing, or male kinsmen with which to influence the judge, Jesus depicts for us a person who is in a position of powerlessness. Prayer is like this. If you ever truly prayed, you know the feeling, the prayer of desperation. You become aware of your own inability to change the situation. 
And so you cry out to the God that has the power that you don't. And so we strive with God in the place of prayer. Um, about 15, 20 years ago, there was a real push for striving in prayer with God, wrestling with God, contending in the place of prayer with God. And then at about 10 years ago, um, there was this kind of in certain charismatic circles, this pushback against striving in prayer. And uh, kind of it was replaced by words like rest and sonship. And we don't want to strive. Like, we want to rest. Like, why would you're a son of God? You have everything you, ha- you need by inheritance. Why would you contend or wrestle or strive for anything? Um, and so striving kind of became like this dirty little word. Uh, and in some circles, it, it still is, which is unfortunate, I think, because it's entirely biblical. Um, Romans 15.30, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Um, note the, the Trinitarian component of this verse. I, I love it. Um, by, uh, our, by Jesus, our Lord Jesus, and in the love of the Spirit. This actually doesn't sound like this grueling, awful thing, right? Like in the love of the Holy Spirit and with Jesus, we're, we're striving even with saints, to God. I mean, there's this Trinitarian component. There's this church-wide component. Um, Striving doesn't have to be this God-awful thing, which it's often been depicted as. Um, And so I think that's important that we keep this in mind. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, Prayer is not the overcoming of God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Um, I love that. How many of you guys have uh, really enjoyed and just been blessed by the fullness birthday cards over the years? Have you all loved those? I, th- I just think, I just love that we're a church that gives birthday cards to people. I just think that's so cool. I, I loved getting birthday cards from the fullness staff growing up in this church and, and, and uh, middle school, high school, and college. And, you know, I was away for 10 years, and now it's just so cool. I'm back on staff, and I'm sending birthday cards with, with the church. Um, it's just so cool. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll be in my office and I'll have a, a stack of birthday cards um, that I'm signing and I'll just ask the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, what, what would you say to this person? How, how could I encourage this person? And, and if I get something, then, uh, then I'll, I'll put it in there. And, um, and the other day I was, I was in my office and I, was, uh, I had a card in front of me. And I was like, you know, Holy Spirit, what would you say to this person? And, um, and I just, uh, I, I wrote in this person's card, Keep chasing after Jesus. The more you do, the more you'll see how much he's chasing after you. And then I thought, is that true? I hope so, because now it's in this person's phone's birthday card. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I sat there thinking about, is it true? And uh, by the way, if you ever uh, get a phone's birthday card and under uh, the Gabriel section, you see a line on top of what looks like whiteout. That means that I first, uh, my initial encouragement was heresy, and <laughs> I um, righted that wrong and put something true in there. But I was just sitting in my office, and I was just kind of praying, like, Lord, uh, is this true? Keep chasing after Jesus. The more you do, the more we'll see that he's chasing after you. And um, I was just kind of dialoguing with the Lord about that for two or three minutes. And, and as I was just thinking about that, 
Sarah McMillan chimes in on my background music on my computer singing, I'm chasing after you, I'm chasing after you, I'm chasing after you. I just rested in that holy moment, again, just saying, God, I'm coming after you, but then just feeling his song back over me. Gabriel, I'm chasing after you. I'm chasing after you. I'm chasing after you. Scripture calls us to seek the Lord, and I believe that our pursuit of God quickly becomes a discovery, a journey of discovery of seeing just how passionately he's pursuing you. And that in prayer, we discover and rediscover a God who is for us. That in prayer, it's not the overcoming of God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. But you and I don't always feel like God is pursuing us. In fact, we feel the very thing this parable says God isn't doing. We feel like God is delaying long with us. We feel like his justice is anything but speedy. We feel like our pursuit of God is met by the silence of an indifferent judge. And in our worst moments, you and I question the justice of God himself. So let's talk about prayer, the justice of God, and God's timing, shall we? Um, before I do, I, I want to share a story um, that's not necessarily what this parable's about. This parable, I think, is about contending in prayer and, and not knowing God's timing. Uh, but sometimes, and I want to say this, sometimes God gives uh, answers the prayer of your heart or even the desire of your heart almost immediately. Amen? Um, I remember our first year of marriage, uh, Jordan and I um, didn't have anything. <laughs> uh, we, we were rich in love. And um, I remember every, every month, it was like, we, God was faithful to us, though. We, we paid our bills, and we had uh, $61 in the bank. And then the next month, we paid our bills, and we had $37 in the bank. And next month, we paid our bills, and we had $42 in the bank. And um, I remember uh, one day after... Um, about a year of this, uh, just, just thinking to myself, man, it'd be nice if just, just one month we could, in the month, bills paid with $1,000 in the bank, which then was crazy. And three days later, I sat down to lunch with a friend, and he handed me a check for $1,000. I didn't even ask for it. So God does things like that. And I, I want to just say that, even though that's not the experience of prayer that this passage is talking about. So Jesus, after giving the parable, he asked his disciples two rhetorical questions. And the first is this. And will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? And then will he delay long over them? And the implied answer to both of these is yes and no. Uh, yes, yes, God will grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night. And no, no, God will not delay long with them. And then he gives this promise that we hardly dare to believe. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Um, what does Jesus mean? When he says these things, and I think this is really the point in many ways of the parable, because there's more going on here than meets 
the eye at first glance, which again is why I wrestled with whether or not to preach this passage, and I hope I can communicate this clearly. Because at face value, it seems like Jesus is saying something like, God will grant justice to those who pray, and very little time at all will pass between when they began praying and when they got what they asked for. Um, I've heard it preached that way, and obviously at face value, I think that's what you might come away with. And of course, Jesus says, God won't delay long with them, and he'll give justice to them quickly. So, Gabriel, how much clearer could it be? Well, when you look at the context, Jesus seems to be pressing something deeper into his disciples as he's inviting them to become people of prayer. Particularly, the verses that book in this section, verse 1 and verse 8. So in verse 1, again, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect, meaning this is the point of the parable, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Guys, if I, if I pray for something and I don't get what I prayed for that day, the next day, that week, and I quit praying, I'm just a wimp. That's all there is to that. That's not, I've been praying and I just lost heart, right? I became faint-hearted. You become, you lose heart in prayer because you've been praying day and night, month after month, year after year, and you still haven't seen the thing you want, right? That's, that's the kind of prayer that leads to a loss of heart. And then I think that becomes even more clear when you see verse 8, because Jesus bookends this entire experience of prayer with the end of the age, Right? With his return. And verse 8 saying, Nevertheless, will the son of, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And the faith here actually has a definite article. It's will he find the faith on the earth? It's not just faith in a general sense. What, what faith is that? Well, it's the faith modeled by the persistent prayer of the widow. That's the kind of faith he's hoping will people be praying with at the end of the, at the, end of the day. Um, this, this past year, uh, well, the past several years, really, in 2018 in particular, um, honestly, I, I've been really disturbed by global injustice and um, the rank suffering of so much of humanity that they live and die in all the time. And um, at times, it, like, honestly just crushes me. Um, and then God's apparent silence in the face of all that. And I've just been really heavy a, a, a lot of this year. I still, I still have days where I just feel that heaviness. Not that it's mine to bear, but I still feel it. Um, and, you know, as I see it, the, the world's power structures function a lot like the unjust judge. They may not be overtly evil, but they're characterized by a lack of the fear of God and respect for human value and dignity. And then I look at myself and I, and I admit, like, I, I don't have answers to all the, the philosophical questions, like the problem of evil, for those of you who are familiar with that. And nor have I actually ever heard an answer to the problem of evil that satisfied me. Um, so don't come to me for pastoral counsel on that. Um, I'll just say, God's really good, I promise. <laughs> um, and so, and I, I feel that, and, um, but I'm, I'm learning to be okay 
with the fact that I may not get answers to all my questions, um, at least not yet. Not getting answers to my questions keeps me perilous. I suspect I'm not the only one who feels that way. But knowing the heart of God gets me praying again. When my prayer life has dried up, revelation of the Father's heart bursts prayer. And I think in many ways, that's the contrast Jesus is setting up between his father and the unjust judge in this story. He's a good judge. Therefore, you should ask him to be good and just. Knowing the just and good heart of God is what anchors you in prayer, not knowing his timing or having guarantees of his timing. Unlike the unjust judge, God has regard for people. And part of the reason, maybe the main reason, that Jesus uses a widow in this story is because his Jewish audience knows just how much God loves and cares for widows. Jesus is saying, this is you in the place of prayer. In prayer, you're the one whose case God fights for. Don't mistake God's timing for apathy. He's good. God loves you. And he cares about the justice cry within you. I mean, think about it, guys. Why do you think it is that you so badly want to see wrong things made right in your life? Why do you think it is that you hope for a better world? Where does that inclination come from? Of course, it comes from God. And you're feeling those hopes and dreams with God who hoped and dreamed before you. His justice cry is much deeper than mine. deeper. And then you declare, God is working wonders. He always has, and he always will. And I think it's important, again, to, to see what Jesus is pressing in for here. We see it so clearly, I think, in verse 8. He's looking for the kind of faith-filled intercession seen by the widow. Jesus, in verse 8, when he says, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes back? He's not making some vague statement like, gosh, I sure hope there'll still be believers when I return on the earth. Um, you know, some prayers will be answered in this life. Others will not. Why? Because ultimately, your prayer for justice and righteousness is a longing for another world. Ultimately, it is that. And that's why Jesus asked the question, will the Son of Man find this kind of faith-filled intercession on earth when he comes back? People longing for restoration. Think, of, think about it this way for a moment. Let's imagine this, this wall represents the beginning of your life. And if we could blow out those walls and just say it goes forever in that direction. If that's the case, this is the beginning of your life, it goes on forever, um, from this wall to my hand, this represents your life here, this, these 60, 70, 80, 90, if you're lucky, years. And we come to God and we say, God, I want all my hopes, all my dreams, all my desires to be fulfilled right here, God. All my hopes, all my dreams, all my desires right here, God, would you fulfill all of them? And God is going, this is your life, not this is your life. I mean, if John's gospel is correct, eternal life is something we've entered into now, not something we're dying to get. You know, I've, I've had friends this year who've 
experienced injustice in the legal system, unjust litigations, and even slander. This world can ruin your career and slime your name, but this world's days are numbered. And we've been given the gift of prayer. God's people know that he will give justice to those who cry out to him day and night, whether in this life or the next. A friend of mine shared this quote with me. When the Allies uh, liberated the concentration camp at Cologne, they found this written on one of the walls. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he is silent. Last month, uh, Pastor Bart preached uh, on Amen, the last word of the Apostles' Creed. It's the best 45-minute sermon on one word you'll ever hear. And that sermon really uh, struck me. Um, Amen is the word in the New Testament typically translated truly, uh, or if you're reading your King James, verily. Uh, Jesus would say, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you. And, of course, it's used as a punctuation on our prayers, at the end of our prayers. Um, And in that sermon, Pastor Bart explained that one of the goals of gathering as a church is that if uh, an unbeliever walks in, we would create an environment to where they would say amen to our worship of God. Um, We do that for the unbeliever who walks in. I think we do that for each other, too help each other hold on to our amen. Um, That sermon uh, last month really came home to me because there has been many times that I've I've struggled to find my amen towards God or even towards the Christian faith. And again and again, brothers and sisters have come around me and helped me rediscover my amen, my let the truth of God prevail. That's what Pastor Bart said, amen, ultimately means. Let the truth of God prevail. Uttering your amen in your prayers and in your faith journey, it doesn't mean having answers to all the questions you seek. It doesn't mean that you're just going to have guarantees of health and ease. Amen isn't the magic word for speedy justice on my timetable. Amen means in the midst of adversaries, in the midst of unjust judges, in the midst of a world that doesn't fear God nor regard human value, your cry is, but let the truth of God prevail. Amen? And I think that's what Jesus is is searching for in this parable. That kind of response on earth from now until he returns Because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer under an unjust judge. Pontius Pilate may not have been malicious, but he didn't fear God. Not even when his own wife warned him of a dream not to harm this innocent man, Jesus. And he didn't respect Jesus enough to give justice to a guy in whom he found no guilt by his own public admission. In Pilate, we find a judge who neither feared God nor respected human value. And it is to this world that Jesus came. He embodied faith, 
hope, and love in this Pontius Pilate kind of world. And it's in this world that you and I are to pray always and not lose heart. The invitation is yours. It's, it's, it's mine. I've been feeling it as I've been preparing this sermon. Jesus is offering it to me. He's offering it to you. And I, I think the, the Luke 18 invitation sounds something like this. Come to God with all of your hopes and longings for wrongs to be made right. Don't give up on them. Don't stuff your desires for a restored family just because you haven't seen progress. Don't surrender your prayer life to the idol of human effort and self-determination. Pray. Pray because you feel your limitation. Instead of denying the things that you can't change, acknowledge the things that you can't change. Have the faith of the widow by embracing your powerlessness and pray to the just judge. It sounds like I'm preaching to myself right now. It's because I'm absolutely preaching to myself right now. I, I want to receive the, the invitation of Jesus in this, this parable, but it, it's uncomfortable, even, even humiliating. This is the long suffering of prayer, right? Interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, he, Jesus isn't curious if people will be having refreshing devotional times when he comes back. He isn't interested in prayer in this general sense that, gosh, I sure hope people will still be praying when I come back. Verse 8 is more specific than that. The, the, the question on Jesus' heart is, when the Son of Man returns, will I find people praying for things they could have given up on? Things they might have lost heart to pray for. In this gospel... Luke has already introduced us to a widow who prayed day and night. That widow was Anna. What Anna did before the first advent of Christ, Jesus is looking for between his first and second advent. And for the centuries now of, of Christians who have uh, lived and died before the return of Jesus, um, he's looking for people who will go to their graves believing and praying for justice and righteousness on earth. You should have prayers that you take with you to your grave. I know that our brother Buddy Finch had prayers like these. The decision to keep praying and not lose heart, day and night, month after month, year after year, or until the Son of Man returns, those decisions to pray and not lose heart says to God, I'm going to agree with your heart, even if I don't understand your timing, because I love what you love. And when that shift begins to happen, you begin to see, I'm not overcoming God's reluctance. I'm laying hold of his willingness. It's not about signing up for Christian chores again, or learning how to talk God into coming back down. And then you turn to your brother and sister and say, guess what? God actually wants justice and righteousness more than I do. Did you know that? Oh, you did. Okay, good. Because I wasn't sure there for a moment, but I got faith again to keep praying and not lose heart. 
I want to take a moment, give you a moment. Um, if we could just have some music playing softly. Um, I just want to give you a moment, a minute or two, just to dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Rather than having uh, me guiding, I- I'll pray to close us in a moment, but I want to invite you, just, just dialogue with God. Um, of just where your prayer life is now, the wrongs that you desperately want to see made right, the justice that you're craving in, in your life and in this world. Some of you may need to say, God, I just sign up again. Some of you may say, I just need a, a revelation of the Father's heart again to just reignite and birth prayer my life, whatever it is, just take a moment with some prayer ministry teams to come forward for those who would like to receive personal prayer ministry today. Let me pray for us, and then we will be dismissed. God, I thank you that you always, you always have and always will take us where we are. And so in this moment, Lord, we offer ourselves to you such as we are, and we ask, God, would you if we need it, reconnect us to your heart. God, if, if we need it, God, uh, give us a, a, a longing, a sense for wrongs to be made right, justice to be met out, God. God, would you give us the widow's cry, the widow's persistence, that faith-filled prayer, and God, that you would have it both now and until the end of the age, Jesus. God, make us a people of prayer. Even just making it personally, God, make me a person of prayer. God, even, even, just I encourage you, even this moment as I'm praying, just say, God, make me a person of prayer. God, would you, again, I just ask, would you connect us, unite us to your heart, God, and let it fuel our prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer. It's such a gift. Thank you, Lord, for it. It helps us make sense of the world around us, God. Thank you, Lord. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if I can get a few prayer ministry teams to come forward for those who would like prayer.